No person, no people are more keenly aware of the risk of disenfranchisement than those who have suffered from it. There's a knee upon the neck of democracy, and our nation can only live so long without the oxygen of freedom. The strength must be exercised by more than rhetoric and more than marching. The simple challenge before us is that everyone can cast a ballot, and everyone who can must cast a ballot. And that ballot that is cast must be counted, and the result must, must be transparent and known to the whole world. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. That was an excerpt from a speech from Martin Luther King III, Dr. King's eldest son, who spoke to tens of thousands of people gathered for the March on Washington, honoring the 57th anniversary of his father's famous I Have a Dream speech. I've had the privilege to advise a new effort founded by MLK III to raise funds for exactly these purposes called Give Us the Ballot, which you can check out at giveusttheballot.org. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, January 18th. Moving from 2020 to today, let's talk about the procedural drama and efforts to bring the Freedom to Vote Act finally for a vote in the Senate, and also how it may have been stalled out. Plus, some early drama on the 2024 campaign front from the Republican National Committee, new arrest tied to the January 6th insurrections, and some surprising developments in redistricting in Ohio and Florida. But first, the big piece, which I talked about last week, said we expected a vote on the Freedom to Vote Act on Martin Luther King Jr. Day or during this week. That has not happened yet. But here's what did happen. Last Thursday, the U.S. uh, House of Representatives passed H.R. 5746, which was a bill about NASA leasing underutilized property that had actually already moved between the House and Senate for revisions. This is come, sometimes called the amendment exchange or ping pong method of negotiating bills between the House and Senate. What happened on Thursday was the House passed a new version of the same resolution that replaced all the language from that NASA shell bill with the language of the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Senator Schumer then used a procedural tactic to bypass the filibuster for the motion to proceed by receiving this message, by receiving this new amended piece of legislation from the House, which means that the Senate can start debate on the bill, which has not happened before because Republicans have filibustered the debate on the Freedom to Vote Act. So some procedural dances, which definitely got confusing and also confusing is that this new bill is called the Freedom to Vote John R. Lewis Act. So mashup of these two different pieces of legislation. But it's actually not just a combination of the two bills. It's actually an improvement. It strengthens some provisions of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And on the Freedom to Vote Act side, it separates and strengthens the language about a right to vote. And it now lays out that we have we would have under this law two different rights, the right to vote and the right to have that vote counted, which both helps ensure the ability to vote and protect against voter suppression. However, before you get excited about the fact that we're now starting debate and that we've got a slightly even more stronger bill to be debating, just before a very long and testy Senate Democratic caucus meeting on Thursday to get all 50 members to a yes on rules change, which Biden actually went over and met with the Senate for that caucus meeting on Thursday, 
Senator Sinema spoke on the floor, emphasizing her opposition to changing the filibuster rules. It really took the wind out of the sails of that chance to mobilize. Uh, she reiterated her support for voting rights, but said she won't change the 60 vote threshold because she will, quote, not support separate actions that worsen the underlying disease of division affecting our country. After the meeting, which was very frustrating for all, according to many reports, Manchin also released a statement of his opposition to weakening the filibuster. So instead of holding everybody over the weekend, citing both a COVID case and bad weather in D.C., Schumer put the Senate into recess for MLK weekend. They are coming back today. They will now open debate because of this procedural tactic. So expect a lot of speeches this week about the importance of voting, but whether there's any effort or any possibility of moving cinema and mansion around to some type of adjustment on the rules to allow for a vote to pass the bill seems decreasingly possible. A lot of effort this week. It's not over yet, but it was definitely both an encouraging and then discouraging end of last week. Another thing that happened last week was that the Republican National Committee announced that it will require any candidates to pledge to not participate in debates run by the Commission on Presidential Debates. Basically, they've said that they think that these debates are unfair for Republicans. They haven't liked the timing of them. They haven't liked that they are being fact-checked. They've done, said nothing more except that they're going to not do debates. Whether there's anything to replace them would be unclear. Also, the Commission on Presidential Debates, Debates is a nonpartisan commission that has traditionally negotiated with the winner of the Republican and Democratic primary on the terms of the debates. They don't manage any of the primary debates, which is part of what the RNC was complaining about, but is actually not their purview anyway, but really that they've protested about fact-checking, which is if, you know, a disturbing thing to be saying, we don't like fact-checks. So whether now debates will even have a continued role or what they will look like for 40 years, we've had this bipartisan commission and now we're back to another moment of breaking apart. We also saw um, at the end of last week, federal prosecutors brought a bunch of more serious charges against a group of people tied to the January 6th riot. They arrested and charged the founder of the Oath Keepers and 10 other members of this far right group with seditious conspiracy for their role in the riot. So what they've said is that while other people were kind of charged with disorderly conduct or entry into a restricted building, officials are saying that there's a smaller group of militia and far-right groups who are trying to carry out a premeditated attack on the Capitol. They'd mapped out entry points and how to navigate the underground tunnels in the Capitol. These charges, unlike the ones we've started to see in, over the last few months, carry a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. So a real escalation in the enforcement on January 6th and keeping that front of mind. The last thing that really happened last week and um, in the last few days is around redistricting. We're still you know, navigating through where now 26 states have gone through the process of uh, drawing and approving congressional districts. Nine of those have already got lawsuits going, saying that the maps are gerrymandered or otherwise illegal. And one of the first big cases came down on Friday, where the Ohio Supreme Court ruled that Ohio's congressional map violated the partisan fairness requirement, which is in the state constitution. Now, every state is different because states govern their own redistricting processes. But Ohio said that Republicans had violated the fairness requirement. 
the map that was rejected would have created 11 Republican-leaning seats to only two Democratic-leaning seats, plus there were two swing seats, even though Ohio is actually very, very closely balanced. So back to the drawing board. What's most likely what people are expecting now is the Republicans who control the Ohio state legislature will probably draw new, slightly more fair maps. So you won't, we won't expect a really perfectly partisan fair map but something closer. And if that holds true in other states, like North Carolina is probably the other biggest, most critical state where you've seen very gerrymandered maps and an expectation for a strong ruling from the Supreme, the North Carolina Supreme Court in favor of fairness, you may see these maps redrawn. You may see actually Democrats come out net overall in the country with a set of races that may not be too far off. But what it really means is that anybody who says they know what the maps will look like is lying. We do not know what the maps will look like. There will be months more before we get real finalized maps. And frankly, we're going to get to the point where some maps will move forward for the midterm elections and still be in litigation. We saw that at last decade. We expect to see it again, where some maps will be litigated for a year or two and then maybe revised for a 2024 or 2026 election. The other last thing I would mention from last week and the last few days was yesterday, where Ron DeSantis surprised people on MLK Day when he actually proposed his own map to redraw the legislative and congressional districts in Florida that would go even farther than Republican legislators in gerrymandering the state for Republicans and marginalizing black voters in particular. Frankly, it was met with considerable irony as he was also tweeting out his respect for Martin Luther King yesterday. And it surprised Republicans in the state legislature as no Florida governor has ever issued their own proposed map. Generally, they keep their veto power of the maps at the end as their behind the scenes way of wielding influence in the redistricting process. But this was seen by many as DeSantis trying to kind of flex his power and show his ability to be a kingmaker and deciding voice in Florida politics. Whether he actually gets his even more extreme maps passed or whether Republicans in the state legislature push back and pass their maps instead remains to be seen, but it was kind of a surprise development yesterday and something that throws a further wrench into the redistricting process. So that's all for this review of democracy developments. We've got a shorter week this week, but we're going to have very intense debates and speech making and maybe some progress or maybe a stall out at the federal level. Expect a lot of you know incremental and slow moving developments across the states. We'll come back to some of those next week. And until then, I'm Jason Franklin. I look forward to talking with you again on 10 Minutes on Democracy. Take care.